Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is brought to you by the 24-Hour Musical Project. By the what? The 24-Hour Musical Project. It's a community fundraising project that brings together local artists to produce a full-scale musical with just 24 hours rehearsal. Oh, thank goodness. I thought it was a 24-hour longer musical. No, 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 no. A regular length musical. But no one knows the show until 24 hours before the curtain. Not the cast, not the band, not the crew, not the audience. So why not join us? You could be that cast band crew support volunteers or buy tickets come see the show check us out at 24hmp.com hello and welcome to another episode of musicals taught me everything i know the podcast where we talk about musicals and all the lessons that they teach us. How are we feel, ladies? Ouchies. Oh, Julia sunburned. Oh, no. Anyway, I am your host, Nancy Webber, and with me at the table, those crazy voices. I said crazy, I meant crazy. Are. Miranda Selwood, crazy and- number one. <laughs> Julia Eisendrager, crazy number two. And we have a special crazy number three guest today. I'm Jessica Kate Ryan. Hi, Jessica Kate Hi. Ryan. How are you going? I'm good. Feel free to just call me Jess. It's I will call you look. Jessica Kate Ryan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will Three call names, you Jess. very important. Full name, all the time. All the time. Well, yeah. we do call him Zancy Weber, so. <laughs> look, he calls himself Zancy Weber. <laughs> In I just the third call person him all the time. Zane. Dude face. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, Jess is here to talk with us about Sondheim. Yeah. Boyfriend Sean Horn. Is this our first Sondheim episode? It is. It is, in fact, our first Sondheim episode. I was told by Zane that I was the first person to talk about Sondheim on your Everyone's podcast. Everyone's been like, oh, I don't want to <laughs> take it so seriously. Well, it, there's a lot in Sondheim shows. There is a lot. And we, there is a lot in it. You know, we can't make a six hour long episode. No, so we're just doing yeah. one show. Okay. We're doing Sunday in the Park with George. Yep. Sunday. But before we do that, it is tradition that Jess has to answer our quiz. Oh, yes. We need to get to know Jess. <gasps> Can I do the song? I haven't done the song in such a long time. Well, it's about time you do the song. Getting to know <laughs> you. That has changed so much since when you first did it. I love it. Oh, it's very I Mrs. Doubtfire. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right. All right, Jess. Yes, stop. <clears throat> Tell me. Which musical character would other people compare you to? I've had a lot of the time people say Frenchie from Greece. I think like I'm a Frenchie Jan oh, yeah. sort of hybrid. Yeah. Yeah. 
Bit of bit stylish, bit gawkish, loves chocolate, can quote random ads from television, you know. <laughs> Jen, and yeah, I think so. I think that's the most comparison that I've had. All right. Yeah. I'd say it's fair. Frenchie. I Oh, good. <laughs> Okay, well, what musical character would you like other people to compare you to? Um, well, uh, my former dream role that I've performed would be Little Red. I would love to Do be you want compared. to be Little Red? Yeah. All She's right. brave and funny. Yeah, first and... act or second act Little Red? Oh, oh God. Like feisty knife wielding I think Little Red? A little bit of feisty knife wielding. When I was playing her, I kind of um, split it up between Shirley Temple and Katniss Everdeen. <laughs> like that was the All right, that yeah. was how I that yeah. was how I was thinking of it when I was playing her. So yeah, she's brave and she's feisty and she tries and she fails, but she learns. Yeah, I want to be right. like that. Well, what is your dream role? Oh. like is is it? We've already played Little Red. Yeah, I mean, I would love to play her again, um, but I have to say, top dream role at the moment would be Rose in Dogfight. Yep, if yeah. I was to play a lead in a musical tomorrow, it would definitely be Rose. Um, but further on down the line, I would love to look at Mama Rose in <laughs> Gypsy just because I grew up so much with Gypsy. And sticking I love to it. a theme. Yeah, sticking to that <laughs> theme doll. Um, and then, of course, reminiscent of tonight would be Dot, Dot. in Sunday in the Park yeah. with George. All right. Yeah. Well, that's a great segue to the next question. Mm. Now... I assume that we are talking about Sunday in the Park with George yes. at your request. Yeah. Is that your favourite Sondheim show? Well, it's – oh, gosh. I have I – love, I love all of them for many different reasons, but I think in its entirety would be, uh, would be Sunday yeah. in the Park with George. It's, uh, it, it's been pretty popular. Yeah. Uh, yeah, everyone we said is Into the Woods is popular, Sunday is popular – Sweeney's popular. Yeah, yeah. and I mean yeah. Sweeney is – it's perfect. Like it's an amazing – like it's like easily his best score, I think. Yeah. It's – and also it's just everybody likes it, which is not something that happens with a composer, I think. <laughs> not – like it's when you think yeah. about Sondheim, everybody goes, oh, Sweeney Todd and, you know, the movie happened and whatever, Johnny Depp. <laughs> <laughs> we, don't, we don't need but to But we don't need to talk about that. But, yeah, Angela Lansbury as Mrs. Lovett, just iconic, just so iconic. All right, well, what is your go-to shower song? Oh, my god! When no one else is around except maybe the neighbours. I do, oh, God, just basic bitch, um, don't random my parade. (laughs) Love me some funny girl on some Barbara. Um, and then also been really into the Beatles this year. So a bit of come together. A bit of help, you know, mixing things up together. Also, um, Sergeant Pepper, I think that's a great song to sing. Yeah. That's a really fun song. All right. In the shower. All right. <laughs> so this is the last question. It's the one Make that's, it a good one. It's the most serious. <clears throat> if you had to delete one musical from existence, it never existed, it will never exist, it is not existing right now, what musical would it be? Okay. The obvious question, the obvious answer to this question is Cats. <laughs> but I know everybody has said Cats because it's just 
the worst. Um, but I have to say, after it is, I don't think it's cats, the worst. It gets such it's a bad rap. It's just disposable. It's mm. just, it's frustrating. Like I grew up with watching the DVD, and we had the cassette tape because my mum went and saw it on the West End when it originally opened. And so I grew up with that music. I like, you know, I really liked it. But the more I watch it and the more I listen to it and the more I see so many people go out for auditions for it, I am so perplexed as to why we have gotten to this position where Cats is what it is. Is a standard. It's just, mm. no. Just don't <laughs> do it. Oh, do, you, do you have a second choice? Yes, I do, actually. Um, after seeing it live on stage... On Broadway at the end of 2015, I want to delete Finding Neverland. Okay. It is, I have to say, the most heinous book of a musical that I have ever heard in my life. I was so bored. It was so – I and I, pay, I paid for the tickets for that show, so I, I was very like – God, I hope this is good. I really <laughs> hope this is good because I, I got pretty good seats for me and my boyfriend and – the as the first act went on, I was just like sinking into my chair because oh god, it was just the oh, it was horrible. Do you think it was the worst, literally, or do you think it was the the disappointment of having built it mm. up? And no, I I mean I wasn't overly excited about seeing it. I listened to the soundtrack with my boyfriend. We try and listen to like a lot of different musical soundtracks, so I was I knew the music, but I wasn't totally psyched up about seeing it but I could I did not think a musical could be as bad and I did not think I could experience at a cast phoning it in like I get it Mm. Wednesday matinee yeah we're tired I get it I've worked on a Wednesday I know it's hard but like I could literally see the bored looks on the leads faces that's disappointing and that was disappointing disappointing. you know so after experiencing it and further listening to it let's get rid of it all right time to go well i haven't i haven't heard much about it to come to any defense i have like the like the album if you just take it for what you think it is if you think of the movie with johnny depp and kate winslet it's kind of charming yeah and then you put it into like the weird like the costumes are not of the era, the weird Mia Michaels choreography that just doesn't make any sense. Nah, shut up. All down. right. Well, you know, we'll do you a favour. Get rid of it. Rid it's of gone. It. It's gone. It's out. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, let's get into what we're here for. Mm. We'll take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk about Sunday in the Park with George. Sunday in the Park with George. Okay, Jess, what can you tell us about the uh, history of Sunny the Buck? So, basically, the uh, collaboration between James Lapine and Stephen Sondheim that came before Sunday was Merrily We Roll Along. As we know, big flop. Yeah. 18 <laughs> performances completely ruined Sondheim's credibility. And he vowed to leave yeah, musical Yeah, he was theater. like, I'm oh done, God. I'm going to be a crossword. He was like, I'm going to be a crossword writer for the New York Times. <laughs> I didn't know it was, and was that like, bad. See ya. Yeah. So performances. Yes. basically. Well, they did more previews than shows. <gasps> yeah. And I watched that amazing documentary that's on Netflix about Merrily. 
I quite like Merrily as a show. I think the original concept and design that they did for mm. the original production was heinous and wrong. But I love the premise of it and I love the music. I think it's beautiful. But I think it has a different understanding now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like People... the recent uh, uh, West End production did like really, really well. Mm. And then like the Encores production that they did with Celia Keenan Bolger and Colin Donnell and Lin Manuel Miranda as well. Like, I think people get it now. And I think also people were just out to get him. Maybe. They really were. Yeah. It just, yeah. So he anyway. Was, he was doing weird stuff at the time. Yeah. 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 You know. He really okay. was. <laughs> it was but, but when you listen to Merrily and you listen to other notorious Broadway flops, like Merrily is quite a step above oh. music-wise mm. than, say, I mean, let's Karen. chat about Legs Diamond, shall yeah. we? Like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus, bloody Christ. Anyway, so Sondheim was going to quit musical theatre and James Lapine was like, no, nah, can't do that. Sorry. Come on. Come on. Come on, doll. Like, bring it let's back. Let's go to the museum. <laughs> so, well, that's basically it. So they became inspired by... Uh, the I, I'm like I even though this is my primary school I cannot say the artist's name George Surratt 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 George Surratt and they became obsessed with his painting a Sunday afternoon on the island of La Grande Jatte so they spent several days at the Art Institute of Chicago and they were studying the painting days yeah just looking at it days. and that makes me think of Ferris Bueller <laughs> that yeah. scene where they go and they stand in the museum and there's like the close up of the painting and I think that was so funny. Um, so Lapine noted that there was a figure missing from the painting and that was the artist. So that's what prompted the musical. So it's a fictionalised story of Surratt's life. He actually was married. None of his children survived infancy, so there was no possible chance of him having yeah. grandchildren. So and he didn't, didn't have a daughter. No, he, he didn't. He had sons. He did. Yeah. He had two baby sons that passed away and then his wife didn't immigrate to America. She died of, what did she die of? Uh, cirrhosis, I believe. Cirrhosis, yeah. yes. And cirrhosis of the liver. very young as well. Yeah. Let's write a musical about cirrhosis of the <laughs> liver. <laughs> Woohoo. Woohoo. Anyway, so Act 1, George Surratt and his painting An Afternoon of La Grande Jatte, which took two years to complete, completely overtook his life and his relationships with Dot and the people around him. And Act 2 is the artistic crisis of his great-grandson, George, um, who's a conceptual artist. So that's the gist of it. You kind of go through um, Surratt's journey creating Le Grand Jatte and he becomes absolutely obsessed with this piece. It is everything to him. He has an important... Uh, relationship with his muse slash live-in girlfriend Dot who is a model and she has modelled for other um, artists in the past but she loves George and she thinks he's very talented and she wants to be with him but he cannot give her what she wants which she wants words, she wants love, she wants affection whereas his form of affection is in his work, in him depicting her. So Basically, Dot leaves, unfortunately, and George is left to sit and ponder how his form of flattery and affection to his loved one has basically pushed her away, which is very sad. And George ends up dying alone and his lovely partner immigrates and it's the story of his grandson sort of imitating his own crisis of his art. He's 
creating something that he doesn't necessarily want to do anymore but he knows that it's going to get him money and yeah. that it's going to get him acclaim and he's sort of stuck in this cycle of just going about and doing his things and then a very important figure in his life passes away and he's left with the remnants of his life just looking at him, just saying connect, look at what is around you, see what is around you and experience it. Yeah. yeah. Someday. And then they sing. <laughs> well, they sing throughout. They, yeah. They, they, do, <laughs> yeah, they get through all that. Then. And not then just they then. <laughs> no. It wouldn't be sometime if they weren't singing. No, if they weren't singing a lot. (laughs) If they weren't singing a lot. But the book is actually really great by um, Lapine. He, I think, he's an amazing writer, and also Lapine directed the show, which I think, you know, I I mean, he's that always gives a show a a lot more consistency, maybe definitely, and understanding for the audience when that first production that can mean so much to whether a show is successful or whether it yeah. dies in a hole and no one ever hears it again. Yeah. So if if the creators are part of actually developing that production. And also like the ending of Hal Prince and Sondheim on Merrily. Mm. So I think he wanted to go with someone that he trusted and was safe with after being spurned. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, is that all the, the, the history? I, that's um, basically so they had a um, – they did have an off-Broadway tryout and interesting found out only just today that Kelsey Grammer was actually in the original really? workshop I of Sunday in the Park with George. I knew that yeah. for some reason. As George? But I don't know why. No, he was, no. Sold, he was the soldier. Okay. Yeah. There's, there was another name. Christine Baranski from yes. Mamma Mia. <laughs> yeah. Does your mother know that you're in a Sondheim musical? Like, oh, my God. I love Christine Baranski. She's fucking fresh. <laughs> Her hairstyle, like, cannot. She's so great. And, yeah, found out today that they both were in the original workshop. Unfortunately, didn't transition to the um, Broadway. the original Broadway yeah. production. And then um, Nancy Opal was Bernadette Peters' understudy. And she's a very famous Broadway understudy. She was Patti Lapone's understudy in Evita. Yeah. There's that famous story of Nancy Opal going on for the first time for – oh, no, she, she'd gone on for the Wednesday matinee and then went on to do the night show for Patti Lapone. And she's – the Casa Rosada is, like, moving back. Nancy Opal, like, like – so Mandy Patinkin's like, I'm Mandy Patinkin, I'm singing, <laughs> high-flying adored, and her heels get stuck in her hoop skirt and she's, like, floundering on stage, like, swinging backwards and forth. So I love Nancy Opal. So she was – oh, God, what is the name of that woman? She plays the German nanny in um, Sunday. So there's um, that. The German nanny, one moment. Is it Frieda? Frieda. Yes. That's Frida, it. Frieda. But yeah, um, so it is also something, fun fact, it is one of nine musicals to have won the Pulitzer Prize, mm. which, fun fact, I thought it was the Pulitzer Surprise a few years ago. The, the surprise Pulitzer. <laughs> surprise Pulitzer. <laughs> so it is one of nine shows which consists of, of the icing. South Pacific, which I heard Chris talk about on your Rent episode as being the one that he wants to axe. Mm-hmm. Which, mm-hmm. oh my God. I mean, I know, but I love it. <laughs> of the I sing South Pacific Fiorello, a chorus line, of course, Michael Bennett, Rent. Um, and then I love my shorthand of how to succeed in business without really trying. 
next to normal and Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. Hamilton won the Pulitzer. It, it did. Disappointing you no, didn't know. Oh, <laughs> shit, all right. We'll get into that in another time, shall we? All right, well, yeah. let's uh, we'll take a break and we'll come back with uh, an exploration of the plot. The plot. Okay, now, sometime show, plot is... I'm going to say circuitous. It's a, it's it's a, a nice lot of word like to use. Personal interplay and like mm-hmm. emotion and philosophy and. Can so, I share yeah. a quote from Leonard Bernstein about this show that he said to Sondheim? I insist that you do. He's called it, and this is directly to Sondheim. He's like, "This is brilliant, deeply." Can oh, I can't read my own language. Um, so he's like calling it magisterial and far and far most the most personal statement I've ever heard from you. Yeah, well, it's definitely it's definitely about him talking about art mm. um, and like what it means to them and where they get inspiration from and their process of putting uh, art into uh, a solid form. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and I think that's also reflected in like. Um, George didn't necessarily have the reaction to his art that he would have wanted. That line that Dot says, um, everybody loves Louis, him as well as his case. And she, he's, she's saying that, like, people like his art, people yes. like his cakes. His art is easy to... Yeah, is easy is to him, digest. digest. Yeah. And then it was funny because i sorry, I should have brought this up earlier, but um, Jerry, Her- Jerry Herman... At the Tony Awards, said that. Um, oh, what did he say? He was said they call, they want simple and hummable um, songs. Yes. He As said he that was accepting the Tony, yeah, the one over just the- all out sass and son time on the stage of the Tony Awards. Yeah, he said, uh, "quote Simple hummable tune was still alive on Broadway." Jesus Christ. Oh. A remark which some perceived as criticism of Sondheim's pointillistic score, although Herman denies that it was a... Yeah, bloody right. Anyway. Maybe not a direct jab, but it definitely was a jab. Uh, And that's exactly what the act... That is the question that is mirrored in Act 2. It's posed in Act 1 with the actual discussion between the two artists, and then it comes back as George's... Great-grandson? Yeah. Great-grandson is uh, grappling with that same issue that then George, through Dot, his mistress, answers. So let's we'll start at the beginning. White. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what, what is it? Uh, white. White, a blank page or canvas. The challenge, bring order to the whole through design, composition, balance, light and harmony. And that is said by George Surratt, yep. who then proceeds to conjure the characters in his famous painting on stage, have interactions with them and move through the stories of uh, their effects on his art. Yeah, basically why they're there. So Dot is his longtime model and live-in lover who will eventually bear a child to him 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and another of the big characters is, or another of the characters is the old woman who is in fact his mother. And this is where he talks about um, the perceptions of time and and different people's perceptions of the same events and so on and so forth and the fiction that a person can come up with. He also has uh, a lot of conversations with uh, Louis and his wife, uh, oh, sorry, Jules, yes. uh, another artist, and his wife, Yvonne. And that's where they talk, like Jules has the easy to digest art and uh, Yvonne and Dot are then talk about they originally don't like each other and then they yeah, start Yeah, Yvonne about. is sort of jealous of Dot because Dot is his muse, is George's muse, whereas Yvonne is just sort of the mother of his child. She's not really involved in his art. Yeah. Which I think she's jealous of. So then there are a number of other old ladies, uh, the the nurse of... Uh, old ladies. Other <laughs> characters, nurse, who is the nurse of the old lady, yeah. um, Celeste 1 and Celeste 2. My faves. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, and they're, they're so great. With the, the soldiers. soldiers. Yes. So um, the guy who was the original Cinderella's prince in Into the Woods and the wolf, he was also in the original Broadway cast of Sunday in Park with George playing the soldier and then famously the soldier too was a cardboard cutout. Yeah. Which I thought was <laughs> so funny. <laughs> so good. And the Celeste, they're very silly and cute and they they think it's like rather funny that this weird guy with a beard and is painting him and they're like, ah, oh, why are you doing this? We don't know you. <laughs> why you do? Why you do? Why you do this? Uh, so the uh, uh, the other characters in Act One are Franz, the coachman, to for Jules and Yvonne, Frida, the cook for Jules and Yvonne. Yeah, uh, and she's married to Franz. Yes. Uh, Louise is the little daughter mm-hmm. of Jules it's and Yvonne. So my glasses. <laughs> Mister and Missus, who are an American couple, mm-hmm. and Louis, uh, a baker. baker, who eventually marries Dot. Yes. And emigrates with her. Yes. So I don't want to just read the synopsis because it is just a lot of... Chatter? It's a lot of like <laughs> what one character thinks of another character and the conversation that they have and what it actually means. Yeah, I so, mean, there's the... I mean, the main sort of relationship you'd want to focus on would be the Dot and George relationship yeah. and then it's kind of George versus everybody else. So Dot and George, she... They're eventually in love and she comes out with, like, you're not giving me what I want. And he's like, well, this is what I can give you. And then at the end she comes back pregnant and says, I'm getting married. Yeah, and expecting a sort of reaction out of him to say, oh, but but I love you and we'll have this baby and we'll be together forever and he does nothing. What? Yeah, what she gets is being ignored. Yeah, as she continues, like, as she was for the whole show. Colour and Light where she's applying the rouge and she's got this, like, sexy little corset on and she's like, should I wear the red dress or the blue? And he's like, I don't care. Are we meant to be going to the Follies? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Another important plot point or at least prop is the the book that she's using to to teach herself to read read while they're... Modeling, and she's because he keeps on using that against her, which is fucked up. 
Well, but is, you can't read. That, it's, yeah, it's, but it's, you're an asshole. Yeah, that's that's. It's kind of uh, the uh, the portrayal of George is that he's either a bad person or he's totally ignorant of what yeah what he appears to be. So, best case scenario, he just doesn't know that he's being a terrible person. Yeah, I uh, hope so. And that's the end of Act One. There's a lot of beautiful discussion. Uh, specifically, I, I, what I love in this and his recurring theme is his discussion with his mother, the old lady, about uh, what is beauty and be- and the and art. So we'll head on to Act Two mm-hmm. now. Act Two is his great grandson opening his latest artwork. And starting with the painting actually being on display and the people being trapped because they didn't ask to be immortalised in this way. So it's hot up here. Yeah. And they're stuck with all these people that they don't really like. The kid's glasses has been taken away at the end of Act 1. She's like, I can't see. And Marie's like, what? Not Marie. Um, Dot's like, I've got this monkey. What the hell? can't see like, people that have got like their backs turned that he's like made that decision to turn them away. Mm. And it is, and it's presented that he is now dead by they're all presenting eulogies. Yeah. For him, yeah. Hello, <laughs> George. Depressing. I do not wish to be remembered. Well, like I said, like it, this, this musical, it's hard to, if you're just listening to the music, it's and not know and don't know what it's about. It's mm. hard to get into. Yeah, it's really the context that sells. Oh, the God, music, love my musical. boyfriend Jason yeah. Glenwright. He's a very big, avid musical theater fan, mm. but I cannot, for the life of me, get him to like Sunday in the Park with George. <laughs> you just need to strap him down. Oh, I was like, let's sit down, <laughs> let's watch like the filmed version of it. You'll start to get it. He's like, nah, don't like it, don't want it. I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. An easy listen. Like you have to concentrate. No. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I what mean, is happening? I, I have found to that say, particularly hard <laughs> to concentrate. I was in the bath and I put it on. I was like, I'll listen to it while I'm in the bath. Where am I going to go? Bath. I'm in the bath. No. I mean, God bless Luke Volker, who I found like my Sondheim soulmate with. <laughs> and we can appreciate the like the final chord played in Sondheim and we both can just be weeping about it. <laughs> Because it isn't easy, and I appreciate that. It isn't easy. But it, it is so deep. Yeah. Like it's, it's probably... And it's rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. invest in it. Mm. Yeah. Just because it's so personal, I guess. It's personal to anybody who's passionate about anything. You don't have to necessarily be an artist. That's where I'm missing out. Yeah. I'm with you now. <laughs> <laughs> so George, his great-grandson, has is always been dubious of the fact that he is Surratt's great-grandson because uh, his grandmother was told by her mother, which was Dot, on her deathbed that she was actually fathered by Surratt. Mm. And look, Marilyn Monroe was told that her father was like a famous movie actor and the photo that she had beside her bed was President Lincoln. Yes. She yeah. say, oh, good night, Daddy. <laughs> so, look, it could like, you know, it yeah, it could have been anybody. But it's but, nice to think it was Surratt. So his his work, Chromo Loom Number no. Seven, is a reflection on Surratt's painting in the form of a color machine. Yeah, uh, kind of a conceptual 
uh, art piece and to present it at the opening, he gets his grandmother, his 98-year-old grandmother, Marie, uh, to come and give a, a history of the family, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, so, again, this act is much shorter. Much, much shorter. Uh, I, I think there's like six songs, seven songs. Why do you suppose that is? I think because it's because a lot of everything's been stated and then it's kind of I mean, solidified. I get into reiterating. A, yeah. yeah. Act two feels like a giant reprise of act one. Oh, definitely. I have and a lot of arguments with people about act two of Sunday in the Park with George. And I think it's necessary, though it is short and maybe it is reiterating what's already been said in act one, I think what makes it more affecting is when you look at it through another generation, something that mm. we would we can assimilate with a little bit more. Well, yeah. it, it makes the the philosophy and the ideas presented in Act 1 kind of solidify because it's not just one person's uh, experience now. Now it is a generations later, mm. the exact same things being explored and the same conclusions being come to. So it's, it's making it more of a universal truth rather yeah. than a truth that one person found. And, I mean, let's be real, putting it together is like eight songs in one. Like yes. it is, <laughs> like, that is a beast. And even just that image of Mandy Patinkin singing this song in the original Broadway production and when he's, like, pulling up the yes. cardboard cutouts of yeah. himself to talk to all the groups of people, it's, in, it's intense, it's insane. The, and the staging of it is is very interesting. Mm, yeah, definitely. Uh, looking at the at the just the layering and the it. texture of it when you're seeing it in front of you. So, uh, getting back to the story, um, so George is going through this same sort of. Uh, crisis about whether or not he should do what he knows is going to work or whether or not he should push the envelope, the artistic envelope, in the way that Surratt did. Uh, And it comes about that after Marie passes away, uh, he comes into possession of the notebook that his great-grandmother... Uh, taught herself to read, which kind of, with the notes within, confirmed that he was Surratt's great-grandson and she had written his... uh, something that he kept repeating, which was white, a blank page or canvas, his favourite, so many possibilities, which which kind of sums up everything, is like a white, blank page, you can do anything you want, why would you do anything else? Yeah, exactly. Um, and Gets that you is, right in the feels. Yeah. <laughs> Gets you real emotional. So I think anyone who's more interested, there is like a very in-depth uh, plot analysis of this that I will link yeah. in, 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 the, in the show notes. Um, There's a lot of analysis of the plot. There's a lot of analysis of the music. There's a lot of analysis yeah. of how it all works together. It There's is. A lot of analysis Even just of like lesson lesson number eight or finishing the hat, like <laughs> you go through that with a fine tooth comb and just there's the just lyrics, the music, so and much. Everything. There's so much. It is. It is. And this is what we were talking I'm about I'm before, so sorry. Like, the depth. 
the yeah. depth of like we could probably be sitting here for eight hours talking let's about this musical, but let's not. Hours. Let's not talk about it for eight hours. No, no. Let's push on. Uh, there, there will be other other stuff that you can explore on your own time in our show notes. Just go to our website and find the episode, and it'll all be linked there for you. Uh, but let's take a break. We'll come back and we will talk the music. The music. It's on time. So there is a lot of music to talk about. Miranda has like pages of notes. I'm so okay, impressed. I found um, quite a few articles, but one in particular that was 21 pages long and I've been trying to digest it. <laughs> this musical is a favourite of the intelligentsia, of the musical theatre intelligentsia. Oh, my God. It has been examined and examined and examined and examined. Well, like we were saying before, all of Sondheim has. You know, mm. There's articles out the wazoo about all of Sondheim's works, but I feel like you're right. This is the one that people really latch onto because there's so many layers. And you know what I love about you, Miranda? What? You find an article that's 21 pages and you go, I'm going to digest that. (laughs) Unlike myself that goes, 21 pages, ooh, too full for that. Skip. (laughs) Okay, well, here we go. Here we go. First of all, personal reflections. Okay. All right, yeah. Um. Of all of sometimes other works, I hear in this the precursors of Sweeney Todd more than anything else. Musically, I feel like tonally and the use of the rhythm and the word setting is most similar to Sweeney. Yeah, I'd say. So if you're not into all of Sondheim's work Mm. but you have listened to Sweeney... This could be the one. Come back to Sunday. Listen to it again. I do hear a little bit of... Uh, Sweeney and Into the Woods. There's a touch of Into the, the yeah. Woods, particularly in the second act when things start to get a little bit, dare I say, more modern. In, in one, but... one, but so I think it's Day Off, particularly where he's like pretending to be the dogs. Yeah. Very, very kind of Into the Woods moments in in that particular yeah. song. Can we also just chat about how Jake Gyllenhaal doing the dog noises? Yes. We'll get to talking about the dogs oh in a minute. Um, yeah, so that's just my little personal feel generally about the entire score. Um, here's what some other people have said generally about the entire score. Oh, God, here we go. You get three. What? Three. Three, three? of these. No, no, no. Um, so this this was um, a groundbreaking piece. A lot of sometimes works have done this throughout various <laughs> periods. But Keeps breaking ground. In 1984, this one there? in particular was um, the first uh, minimalist score that hit Broadway and succeeded and mm. did well. Um, so the score is based on a very limited amount of thematic musical material which is developed and mixed in endless variations. Um, the intellectuals among us would say that just as Surratt, the painter that the show is based on, uh, uses only a few colours in endless combinations to create an entire world of colour, so Sondheim does with the score. Um, Even more intellectual people who want to get really serious about it would say Surratt literally used 11 colours and the orchestrator, Jonathan Tunick, used 11 instruments in the pit. Holy shit, did not know that. Let's not forget. Is that conscious? Who knows? Let's not forget that Surratt's 11 colours plus white correspond in some way to the 12 half steps of an octave. Fuck 
fucking hell. <laughs> and it goes on to describe various other interesting facts and information, which I won't share all of, um, but says, unlike most Broadway scores, it's packed with leitmotifs, short musical phrases that represent characters or ideas, which mm. is something that we see a lot all through Sondheim. more in, music, in modern musicals. Mm. Yeah, But definitely. particularly um, it's a device that Sondheim comes back to and would continue to use heavily in works such as Into the Woods and Passion. Oh, mm. that one. I'm coming back to talk about passion. <laughs> Fuck yeah. All right, we'll book you in. All right. We'll book it. Booked. So um, this this show is almost one continuous piece of music. Almost. Mm-hmm. Almost. A lot of the songs blend into one another. There's a lot of music that starts with a theme and then becomes a song which blends into the next one. Um, but it's not entirely sung through and there are breaks in the the uh focus and theme and the setting does change um things like that anyway so the show opens uh there's no overture but the beginning of the first song is uh just a musical segment that becomes a song so the first thing we don't hear the a song first off, but it also doesn't have an overture. So the show starts from nothing, from white. white. <laughs> a blank page. A blank page. Um, we could talk for days, months, probably years. We won't. We won't talk for days, months or years. About the lyrics <laughs> and the complexity of the lyrics. So I'm going to steer away from that in talking about the songs um, because it's just too much. So let's talk... About music. Sunday in the Park with George, the opening, uh, we hear a lot of arpeggiated chords which represent the creation of art and dissonant chords which represent how difficult art is for the artist and also for those around them. And these are things that we hear repeated over and over again. So it's um, particularly the, the dissonance of the difficulty in connecting we get a lot of. So throughout the entirety of the beginning, um, that Sunday in the Park with George opening, which is mostly George and Dot singing, uh, Sondheim establishes every single main theme that we'll see in the rest of the score. Yeah. He also establishes who everybody is, what they're doing there, everyone's relationship and what they're all doing. So if you miss some of the lyrics in this opening number, you're going to be very confused for the rest of the show. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so this, this <clears throat> school really does encourage... Active listening. Active listening and yeah. re-listening. Because yeah. every yeah. time you re-listen, like just for this, I think I listened to it three times and each time I would pick up on a different song as like, no, I really like this song. Mm. And you pick up on the different things and what it's actually saying. Yeah. All the things I'm awful at. (laughs) The other thing I will say is that I did see a production of this that was unmiked. It was in quite a small venue. And I am usually all for that. You're in a small venue. It's an intimate space. I just want to hear your voice and the rawness of your voice. This show requires microphones so that you pick up every consonant because Unless the words yeah, are hard. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Like how could you get those like sly how little consonants? You? Yeah. Anyway, let's let's please move on. Uh, <laughs> this goes into No Life, which is um, Jules and his wife Yvonne making fun of one of George's paintings. This goes into a bit of banter but basically into... Into introduces, that's the word I'm looking for, introduces the idea of how methodical George is in creating his art 
This moves into Colour and Light, which has four sections. And we uh, hear most prominently a lot of the um, motifs we'll hear in finishing the hat later on. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of this is about being misunderstood and the difficulty he has with people not understanding his work and his passion for his work. We also um, hear a lot about Dot and her own conflicts about herself and uh, moves into probably the most recognisable part of it is the third part where we get the stream of consciousness lyrics where Mm. uh, George is repeating the colour names of every dot as he's painting and um, in lots of short, sharp strokes, much like the brush strokes as he's painting. So this is the red, 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 orange. So he's creating all of the different colours from his palette. And a lot of this is about colour and light, which is a theme that we come back to over and over again. Uh, and then we go into gossip. So we go back into the painting at this point. And the bulk of the gossip music is quite dissonant. There's a lot of odd melodies in there and, and it feels really quite bitsy. So um, it, it sounds really random, but it's supposed to represent the pointillistic style of the painting mm. musically. And it also shows us how all of those characters relate to one another or don't, as the case may be. Yeah. Uh, This flows into The Day Off, which is another company number. Uh, The first part of this is George drawing the dog. Brilliant. Uh, So he actually takes on and voices the dog. And then the two dogs having a conversation with one another and they're both voiced by George. Um, It's an entertaining little moment, but it actually has a lot more purpose than that when you listen again to the lyrics and think about where it it. sits. They cut um, actual lyrics for Fifi where she's talking about how she does... This was cut for the transfer to Broadway and they're having like a... Yeah, this full-on conversation that they've cut. Between the dogs? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I hate... What a sickening name. There's just so much attention... There's only so much attention a dog can take rolling around in the mud and dirt, begging a bone on Sunday, settling for a spoiled dessert. So part of the purpose of this was to show how... George might not have a lot of social, personal connection in his life because he's so focused on his work, but he completely understands his subjects. Yeah. Mm. And that's it. he's so focused on his subjects, he, knows... he ignores the people actually around yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the second part of this goes um, through the rest of the company and establishes more about the reasons why they're all there and their relationships and conflicts with each other. Um. So it goes back into more of the feel of gossip before that. It moves into Everybody Loves Louis. This is one of the numbers that you might hear out of context of the show. Mm-hmm. It does feel a little bit standalone, stuck in the middle of two numbers that sound very similar. The one on the left coming up after it is a lot of the same musical themes as The Day Off, which comes before it. But um, Everybody Loves Louis stuck in the middle is Dot singing about Louis the Baker mm. and basically comparing him to George and why Louis is so much better than George because Louis there <laughs> and pays her attention and is easy to deal with. Mm. So um, that song's a lot tells us a lot about the relationship between Dot and George. Um, 
And then the one on the left, as I said, this is mostly the soldiers and the silly little girls uh, continuing the same sort of themes as the day off. And then that goes into finishing the hat. This finishing is the hat. The finishing most the famous, fucking hat. The most famous number from this show. Um, and a lot of people would say that it's the poignant moment. It has the message of the whole show in it in a way. Uh, so this is like George's soliloquy. His Hamlet speech, if you will. Um, it basically <laughs> explains why his obsession with his work and why it dominates his life. It wasn't in the show when it started performances. So really? Finishing the Hat was a latecomer to the piece. Could in, you imagine it sense. without it? So they had a really interesting workshop process where they, they had a workshop where they were putting everything together and then they were like, okay, let's start some previews and they were still workshopping. They were still right. writing, they were still adding things in and part of that is to do with the way Sondheim works in that he prefers to have a cast, work with the actors and create something for them. Yeah. So this, this must have had a lot of Patinkin in it. I guess, um, but there's a. Well, he does love story. them. Like, don't break the fourth wall. Acting, just he's like the. I think to me, he's like the perfect George. So I can totally understand why all of this is just Patinkin. It's Patinkin. It's Patinkin. <laughs> um, so I'll just share this little tidbit with you. Um, this is Patinkin telling the story about when Sondheim played the piece for them the first time. So sometimes sat down at the piano. They had actually left the rehearsal room because they, there was no spare piano there and they'd gone to the basement of a cafe or something somewhere, um, as you do in New York on the Broadway. <laughs> um, and he began, sometimes began to play. Uh, he was very nervous, says Patinkin. When he finished playing it and singing it, he went from a dry shirt to just a sopping wet underarm <sighs> right in the chest bones, just yeah, drenched. Man. So that's a, that's it's a not, nice visual for you there. That's not what I needed out of that story. <laughs> no. He was worried about something, as you might assume from <laughs> Or that just state. sweaty. They're in a basement. That's <laughs> yeah, true. It's hot. And we were in tears, all of us. Patinkin performed Finishing the Hat that night. That's quick. Well done, Mandy. I would like everyone to listen to the lyrics and, and the rhythmic that. complexity <laughs> of that song one more time. Mandy Patinkin <laughs> heard it that day and performed it that night. The end. I mean, look, if Sondheim wrote me a you song would do it. and was like, look, we want this in the show tonight, I'd be like, I already know it. <laughs> I know I've it. it all along. I know it in my heart. I knew heart. it in my heart. Um, the song has haunted artists ever since and not just those who make musicals. As a teenager, Stephen Colbert read the lyrics of Finishing the Hat aloud to his mother to try and explain to him why he wanted to be an artist. Joss Whedon, a friend of the show, I'm just saying that, I just really like him. If you say it enough times, it becomes true, right? <laughs> the man behind pop culture joggernauts such as Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the Avengers uh, and Firefly and Toy Story. <laughs> Jesus. God. Um, has said of the song, that's my experience of being an artist, what I would say but better than I could ever say it. So I've, finishing the hat and this moment in the show really hit a chord mm. <laughs> <Funny joke. laughs> um, with the community surrounding the show and I think that it more than anything else in the show has lasted the yeah. time. Well, like you said before, Jess, I can't imagine this show without 
this song. No. Like this song is kind of the crux of the show. Yeah. And like you said about um, Everybody Loves Lily, you hear this song a lot out of context of the show. And I, a friend of mine when we were at university was workshopping this song to perform it for a song concert and just trying to like – it was too hard to tell him what, what this about. was in the crux of the moment. So I was just like, okay, how can I how can I make this help? It's just like pretend you're in love with a girl but you can't speak her language. Like it's just that's, that's him. That's mm. him trying to reach out and he can't. There's this – literal canvas in front of him that stops him from connecting with everybody. Yeah. And it's, it's his desire to connect with the art. Yeah. To connect with the people, connect with, with the other people, yeah. Around him. He just he needs that conduit and other people don't understand that. Mm. That's, anyway. Uh, it goes into a reprise of the day off uh, into We Do Not Belong Together. This is Dot and George arguing basically about why they're being kept apart by his work. I have a really funny story about this song. There's a YouTube video, if you watch, of Daniel Evans and Jenna Russell and it's an illegal bootleg. Someone Mm. filmed the show during one of the performances. Daniel Evans completely loses the words at... um, uh, Oh, where does he lose it? He's like... um, I... Oh, God. I don't know. It's like in one of the really big... I, what I feel, you know exactly how I feel. What do you insist? You, mu- you must hear the words when you know I cannot give you words, not the ones you need. There's nothing, he goes, there's nothing to say. And then he's like, I will. <laughs> and then she's like, what do you want, George? <laughs> you can just see this like, and I'm like watching going like, oh, this is going to fall <laughs> apart. And But it like, like he had that moment where he just didn't know what he was saying and then she brought him back and then it's like, I needed you and you left. <laughs> you got so mad. It almost like, works though. Oh, yeah. It's like in that, in, like if people hadn't seen the show, they might have been like, oh, it's just the mic fault or something. But it just like completely drove the rest of the performance of the song. It was brilliant. And we've all been there, being yes. in the middle of a sometime song, and you're like, I don't know oh, what no, I'm I saying. Yeah, thanks, Stephen. Uh, that goes into beautiful George speaking to the old lady who is turns out is his mother. This is my favorite song. Yes, yeah. finishing song? the hat is a great song that just is empirically a great song. Beautiful is my favorite song of the show. Beautiful is one of the more emotionally driven moments. Yeah. Mostly, you think, think about like a mother and her son. Yeah. And it's just. And that's uh, Zane that's the Zane for that. That's my weakness. You're a, oh, is that your weak spot? Yeah. Old people having feelings. <laughs> oh, so Particularly about children. There's some yeah. interesting lyrics in this um, talking about uh, contrasting, strangely contrasting, the differences between uh, beauty and pretty. Hmm. Where how how you arrange the world around you and all this sort of stuff, which is uh, very much along Georgia's line. Well, of I think it, it really it, it goes a, a little further to explain <laughs> the difference between how he sees the world and how other people see the world, and him trying to actually communicate that to someone, yeah. which you don't really see that explicitly mm. in other parts of the musical. Yeah, and he's like telling her to look around and to see, and yeah. she's like, "You make it beautiful." 
and you just go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before you get carried away with the emotions, we're going to have a break in a moment because Sunday, the Act One finale is coming up. So this song doesn't have all the dissonance, dissonance and musical conflict that we've heard in all the previous music so far. Um, it's uh, mimicking or creating the sense of the characters strolling through this perfect park that George has arranged for them and they, he's placed them, the melodies and harmony build as all the characters sort of figure out where they fit in this mm. world um, and the painting is finished. So we get this resolution um, An as act we go. Wide resolution. An act wide resolution. Yeah. Everything resolves. Dun, 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 dun. Act two. Um, it's hot up here. So we return to the picture. They're still in exactly the same places as when the painting was finished at the end of the first act. And I feel sorry for all of these actors because they've had that entire interval when they could have got changed into their other costume. But no, you had to ah, sit around and sing a song about it first. <laughs> sing another song and then rush that costume change. Um, <laughs> I don't know how they do it. It, it's miraculous. Uh, but Manny Patinkin's is... outside in the alley going like... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no worries, <Stop> doll. <laughs> uh, so this is all the characters who have now been stuck in this painting, in this perfect park, in their perfect spot, with these people for a hundred years <laughs> and they're a bit annoyed about it. So this is basically all of them complaining about being stuck. So this is when I fall in love with the Celestes. I hate this dress. <laughs> the soldiers have forgotten us. You're like, you're stuck in a painting. God. What a Jeez. world. What a what world, a <laughs> uh, We go from there to the Chroma Loom number seven. Now, am I right? The second act has a lot more dialogue. Yes. Yes, a lot Whereas more. Whereas the first one is almost sung through. It's mostly music and there's a lot of music flowing from one piece mm. to the next. Whereas mm-hmm. the second is a little bit more broken up with dialogue. Um so we're now in the modern era. The Chroma Loom 7 um, is a musical piece, a musical interlude. As the Chroma Loom is uh, powered up, we hear a synthesised, sequenced musical version of um, a lot of the motifs from the start of Act 1. Um, a lot of them, all, in fact, all the music in Act 2 is uh, rinse and repeat of... Act one. Mm-hmm. The music in Act two is directly based on the music in the first act, even presented in the same order for the most part. The modern day George's worries about his chroma looms are beginning to be more than variations on a theme, and they become perhaps nothing more than repetition. So part of his worry is I'm just producing the same yeah. old thing over and over again. Um, and sometimes score includes a lot of musical repetition in the same way. Uh, the difference is sometimes is in control of his repetition, whereas George is not. But the repetition of all of those themes is what binds the two acts together, and either one would not be complete without the other, it says my 21-page article. <laughs> so there you go, interesting fact about Act 2. Oh, my gosh, how long have I been on talking? It, yep, it, but this, Everyone take a moment, just stretch. We're coming up to my favourite song. (laughs) My favourite song. So this is followed by Putting It Together. This is um, includes, in fact, an actual reprise of part of Gossip. Mm. It's the equivalent number from the first act. Um, 
So uh, whereas George in the original, um, we were meeting all of the characters in the painting, putting it together is about George not necessarily finishing the art but trying to get it funded. There's a, a similar struggle which is um, not as artistic, which is part of the struggle. <laughs> yeah. So um, we look at it from a, art from a different angle. Uh, this moves into children and art. My favourite. <laughs> I also do have a soft spot for, you know, old people having feelings. <laughs> Mostly also hilarious that it's Bernadette Peters like hunched over in yeah, this wheelchair yeah. being like, George. So this is sung by Marie, which is the same actor who plays Dot in the first um, half, in the first act. Um, this is... George, the, the younger George's grandmother, who is Dot's daughter, she sings about the family tree and this is mostly new music. It's the probably the only section of new music and new motifs that we find in the second mm. act that isn't taken directly from the first. And this is mostly about connection and trying to get George to connect to his past. And um, let's move on from there. Uh, lesson number eight this is uh, George, the young new George, reading from Dot's grammar book. So we were talking before about how she had this book that she would write phrases in that she because she was trying to learn to read. And this book has been passed down to Marie, who has passed it on to George. So this is more about strengthening that connection to the past. My favourite line from the book, Marie has the ball of Charles. Good for Marie. <laughs> Good work, Marie. Good so this Marie. isn't Marie the child, but this is the Marie that Marie the child was named, named after. after. Yes, so yeah. all these little complicated bits and pieces. Um, that moves into move on. So past George and present George are connected through dot who reappears to sing Move On. So what is actually happening here is that George is reading uh, Surratt's words written down by Dot, given Mm. to Marie, and then passed on to George. Very straightforward. Woo! (laughs) But sung by Dot reappearing. Yes. Yeah. So it's like a conjuring. Bernadette comes back. Yeah, Bernadette, come, Benny comes back. Bernadette, Benny comes back. And move on has a lot of the same themes that we heard earlier, and we do not belong together, but with very different message and feeling. Mm. And so the music of move on is the same as we do not belong together, which appears in Act One, and the two songs even share bits of the same lyrics. But the Act 1 song doesn't end. The music slowly segues into beautiful. It doesn't end because the problem there is left unresolved. But here in Act 2, the conflict that was established in the previous act is finally resolved and here the song can finally end. So we finally get that resolution. Cue reprise of the beautiful, melodic, harmonised Sunday sung by the company... And I've made it to the end! <laughs> Huzzah! You did it. Yay! And you fucking crushed it. Hallelujah. Yay! All right, well, let's take a well-deserved break. We I'm will come tired. back. Round of applause for Miranda, everybody. Golf claps. <laughs> now, we'll come back and we will talk about all of the casts that have done this show. All right, it's a song time, so everyone's done it. 
Haven't they? Haven't they ever? (laughs) So I am going to go by character and read across the line. You ready, kids? Uh, All right. Strap yourself in. Uh, George, George Surratt and George, Broadway, 84 to 85. Mm -hmm. Mr. Tinks. Andy. Petinkin. Mandy, Mandy. The guy's like, he's the fucking best. (laughs) Yeah. Quite good. I agree. He's put very few feet out of place. No. Who I would like to see is the West End 1990, Philip Quast. Philip Quast. I mean, can I just say, love Philip Quast. Earliest memory of him from childhood was when he was on Play School and he sang, because he's got this amazing, beautiful voice, he's singing the song, I've a wagon full of chickens who are cackling and squawking. (laughs) And imagining that voice singing this score. Oh, my God. Beautiful. Oh, my goodness. So then we go on to London 2005-2006, as well as the first Broadway revival in 2008, both Daniel Evans. He's wonderful. He's really great. I... I love he's he's done a bit of like British television as well, and every time his little face comes up, I just get so happy about it. <laughs> he's just the cutest. Then we have New York City Center concert as well as second Broadway revival in 2016 and 2017, respectively. Um, was the one that I looked at this and went, no flipping way, nah, Mr. Gyllenhaal, shut that front door. Jake Gyllenhaal can sing. And then oh, yeah. really when well. I heard the only cast recording I could find on Spotify, which is Jake Gyllenhaal, I was like, damn, one point to Jake Gyllenhaal what? just got hotter. I gave him about 7,000. No, he only got one for me. Oh. I- well, let, let, he, he's, he's hoping for a Tony sometime. Oh. Yeah. So- I reckon there's some new original work for him. I would like to see I something that's been written for that's him. that's going to absolutely... Well, Blow the top off. Or is into that one? If he can handle George, he can handle a lot. I want something like William Finn. To write something specifically for Jake. For Hall, yeah. Yeah. I think that could... Even him doing like a um, a revival of A New Brain would be... With Gyllenhaal as... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I love Groff, but (laughs) yeah. All right. <laughs> so then, going? Um, uh, same order, Dot and Marie. We're starting off with Bernadette Peters. Mm-hmm. Bless. Ooh. Cotton socks. <laughs> Amazing. Ooh. How can you not? I've just watched her in Mozart in the Jungle and I'm falling in love all over again. I'm like, yes. Yes, Bernadette. She, she's just one of these people that whenever she shows up, you're happy that she's there. Yeah, I'm like, hi, darling. How often does that happen to My you? Friend. She guest she stars in like she guest stars in like TV shows and movies. When she and came she up in Will and Grace, in. I was like, I yeah. am here for this party. <laughs> it was like Boston Legals, yeah, as well. Yeah. Something she was just she, kind of appeared. She played someone's mother on Smash. Yes, yes. correct. Oh my god, she was Megan Hilty's mom on Smash, yeah. and she nailed it. Right, and moving, also her and Cinderella. Moving to West End, we have Maria Friedman. Mm. Um, I'll forgive her for Joseph. <laughs> she's been forgiven. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, you touch Angela Lloyd Webber, it's hard to get that stank off, but it's okay. Oh. <laughs> Just then, us, Patty. <laughs> then London and First Broadway Revival, we've got Jenna Russell. She's really delightful. And then New York City Centre Concert and Second Broadway Revival, Annalie Ashford. Yes. Good. I've never heard of it before. Far out. I uh, 
obsessed with her and Legally Blonde and then when she did Wicked and then I thought she was the best thing in Kinky Boots even though she could not do the accent to save her life but she was a (laughs) wonderful dog. It's pretty sad when you're the best thing and you still can't do the accent. Mm. Um, Old Lady slash Blair Daniels. First of all, stutters Barbara Brin. Then Sheila Ballantyne in West End. Gay Sofa. Sofa? Sopa? Sofa? Something like that. I would say Sopa. Sopa. Um, Mary Beth Pillay. Pillay. Peel. Mary Beth Peel. Yes. Anastasia. She's currently playing the Dowager Countess in oh, Anastasia. Stop it. Much respect. Followed by Felicia Rashad and Penny Fuller. Mm. Who else do we want to know about, guys? Um, give us the soldier. Give us the soldier slash Alex. Robert Westenberg. Oh, him. Oh, yes, yes. Followed by Nicholas, oh, seriously, Colicos, Christopher (laughs) Coley, Santino Fontana. Yes, Santino. Yes, and then Claiborne Elder. Yes. Another good mention is um, Jules slash Bob Greenberg in the New York City Centre concert with Zachary Levi. Friend of the show, Zachary Levi. (laughs) Friend of the show, Zachary (laughs) Levi. Um, anything else? Anybody? Can I tell you yeah. about a three-show season? Yep. Three shows. September third and fourth, yep. two thousand and four. Go for it. The Ravinia Festival in Highland Park, Illinois, mm-hmm. starring Michael Cerverus, yes. Audra McDonald, and Patty Lapone. I completely forgot about this because uh, then they did Passion as man. well. So Michael right. Ser- Michael Cerverus led Passion, and then Patty Lapone was Fosca, and then Audra as old mate. Can't remember her name. Great mate, but yeah. And then they Three did shows. Sunday. That Wait, is who ridiculous. Audra and Patty. Audra would have been Dot. Patty would have been old or the, the old mother. Lady. Dead. Dead. Amazing. Yeah. Life made. Yeah. Server singing, finishing the hat. Also Shut the up. most delightful human. We can officially call him a friend of the podcast because I've met He's him. He's a friend of the podcast. I've touched <laughs> him. <laughs> so. He does And also shout it. out to Audra for uh, being, <laughs> being the winning square oh, on, on my Audra. Tony Awards bingo. Thank you, winning Audra. Square. Thank you for crying during your acceptance speech in Cha-ching. 2014. I win. Shall um, we move on to our Dreamcast? Yes. yes. Why not? Oh, my God. You've got to move on. Well, I was actually going to say if – oh, no, you've stopped recording. I haven't. Oh, you haven't. Let's <laughs> keep going. We could keep going. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I completely forgot about that production with Cerberus and he was who I was going to say for George. Him and then Raul – I would love to see Raul Esparza do a full-on Broadway version after yeah. the Washington production. He's wonderful. All right. Well, let's hold it in and then spit it out in the next segment. Okay. All right. So we've heard who has been in it. Who will we put in the dream casting mm. of this show? Zach Efron is a soldier. Okay. I think that's I, fine. Yeah, that's fine. And the cardboard cutout soldier. <laughs> Look. <laughs> Maybe just the cardboard cutout soldier. No. God, what is I would you? love Laura Benanti as Dot. Yes. Oh, I love If it's not her. me that's playing her, I want someone like gorgeous and like fit as fuck. And that's Laura Benanti. Honestly, I think I can't go past Audra McDonald. I think oh. she would be. No, I I'd fight you with Laura Benanti as well. All right. She's beautiful. How about we do a split show? <laughs> that 
might get confusing. We'll double cast it. So Laura okay. Benanti, Audrey <laughs> McDonald, cutting Dot. Who do we want for George dolls? I don't know. I don't know things. Cerverus um, is, a, is a good pick. Uh, I he's just a good, like, we need someone that also, yes, good singer. Do they have to be youngish? No, not no. necessarily. Can we, go, like, can we trust it to Hugh? No, no, we can't no. Trust it to Hugh. <laughs> no. But, but, oh, resounding. No. no. Along the same lines. We need someone with that, especially for the second act, you need a little bit of charisma. But I also Does, need to believe that he's a recluse. Can I, I ask a question? And a bit Does odd. Matthew Broderick have any charisma? Like, mm. has he got enough to? Pull yeah, it but off? I don't think has, he's earnest enough. Okay, I, I feel like him wouldn't have said this before I saw uh, the concert version of Company. But maybe Neil Patrick Harris. I see where you're going. I yeah. still prefer Michael Cerverus. I have one. I have one guy. Oh, yeah. God, God. I was like, who are you waving to? John Barrowman. Ooh. Oh. Yeah, His okay. His voice is like... Mm. He usually gets stuck in this, like, romantic role. He does, but I would like to see that change. A little something a little dark. I would like to see him do it. I would like to see him do it well. <laughs> if can you're going to do it, do it properly. Can we just properly. acknowledge that Jake Gyllenhaal owned this role. And oh. who would have thought that Jake Gyllenhaal was going to own that's this right. role? And that's right. That was a surprise for me. I mean, I thought he'd have to pry it out of Mandy Patinkin's cold dead hands, <laughs> you know, but he took it and mm. did his own thing as well as honouring the original work, which I think is impressive. All right. <sighs> Do you have any strong opinions? I'll play George is hard to cast. It's, yeah, it's really hard. I'll play it. Okay, all right. Done. I'll get the sex. I'll get the operation. Oh, you don't. You has anyone told you, you don't need to go that far? <laughs> it's no, called costuming. acting, darling. <laughs> costuming and makeup. We'll we'll make it work. Okay. All right. All right well, let's let's uh, take another break. We'll come back and we'll talk top five lists. Okay. All right. So if this musical was to appear on top five lists, which of those top five lists, what did it appear on? Top five musicals about conceptual art. There it goes. <laughs> That's my conceptual one. Conceptual art. There aren't a lot about conceptual art. No, and Mine I think it's the best. use conceptual art. Mine was top five musicals inspired by art. Okay, yeah. Broader list, yeah. slightly broader list. This might be a bit... Because you guys take this pretty serious and legit. Oh, I, as, we do. Yeah. Like, you might be excellent. So I was. This is the most serious. So I was. Ever. You may not be coming back. I was going to say top five musicals containing the word dot several times. <laughs> I'll take it. Dot. Dot. I think. Dip, I dip, think dot. you're safe in it being number one. Pretty close to the top of that list. Yeah. Not because a lot of musicals don't contain the word dot. But it's a pretty good musical, so it's going to drift towards the top of that list yeah. anyway. Um, can we say, would we say, top five sometimes? That was, definitely. That was one of my, that was one of my top Ooh. fives. It's definitely one of the uh, you know, milestone shows. Mm. I feel like if we career. don't count Gypsy, it's going on my top five. <laughs> but if we count Gypsy, it might be pushed down. Mm. I think for the progression of musical theatre as it is today probably wouldn't have happened without Sunday. Without, like, this, in- like, intimate reflection of work and art and what it means and how it feels, I don't think we'd be here today. Also so I'm happy to say it. Also giving us Sondheim back. 
Thank yeah, thank God. Because if we didn't have Sunday in the Park with Georgia, we wouldn't have Into the Woods. Yeah. And then where the hell would we Top be? Five. What would what would today even look like without who, Into the Woods? Who, Meryl Streep would be homeless. <laughs> <laughs> She'd be doing the Mamma Mia two. <laughs> Wait, is she not doing Mamma Mia two? No, Donna Sheridan is dead. She's not, but Aww. she might be. I don't know. She's like, they're like, your mother, she was so great. I'm I like, so she dead? for a second there. <laughs> now, I would even go even more controversial. Top five Pulitzer winning musicals. Yep. Yeah. yeah that, the, that, out of the nine, I would definitely yeah. say it's in the top five. Definitely. Because that, that, those are the musicals that are like very high thought of. Um um, I'm wondering if you were to count the number of words in the lyrics of this show. <laughs> top five musical with the most amount of words. Would it be top in the top words. five? Yeah, I'd say top so. Five, Do you see how many times he says the word red? Of words. Red, 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 red. Sondheim would be that whole top five list, though. Uh, there are other shows that are just long, like Les Mis. Les Mis. Yeah, <laughs> we're in France and we're poor. <laughs> maybe maybe words per minute. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. The, right. This this is getting really <laughs> obscure top five it's getting list, so obscure. but I don't like it. Okay. Um um look, it's top 5 musicals for me. Top 5 groundbreaking moments in musical theater history. Yeah. Mhm. And top 5 musicals for Jake Gyllenhaal to be in. <laughs> but yeah, I'm trying to classify. I, w- I want to know what top five list it de- it deserves to be on a list, but what top five list finishing the hat belongs on? Because top five musical, uh, top five musical theater songs for men, I'd say. Top five musical theater songs about a hat. Number one. <laughs> That's probably That's, yeah. top five. That, yeah. yeah, it could be top two if I'm honest. Yeah. Can, can we think of a third? <laughs> um, what's the second one? Yeah, what's the second? Oh, no, the producer doesn't have one. He just, it's, it's dialogue, not song. <laughs> oh, look. Is, are, we, are we done? Do I we think, think we're done. It's Easter got them some pretty, ex- pretty exclusive lists. Easter Parade. In your Easter bonnet. There you go. Crushed it. <laughs> <laughs> Crushed it. And on that note, we'll take a, take a, take a break and come back. Talk about all the lessons we learned. All right, this is a show full of of lessons. What are they? Um, George Surratt's painting has a really long name. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to get a bit deep. I found this musical after my grandmother really tragically passed away and it was very sad and I listened to this and learnt to connect to the people that are important around me, that love me and that I love and not to listen to the other noise because it's totally unnecessary. Yeah. And to – and I think just with being an actor and singing and doing your job, just – do it for you. Don't do it for anybody else. Because there are a lot of critics out there who want to have their say. Yeah. Exactly. Us among them. <laughs> critics. They're so critical. Yeah. Stop looking at me, Miranda. I'm not. I'm just... And this is coming recently from a show that I did that got 
was received really well by audiences and really liked mm. it, but the critics absolutely, like, critics that came didn't really like it. Yeah. And it was just about being like, no, people liked it. We liked well, it. Poo-poo to them. Poo-poo. Who are they? Well, I will on that note, I learned that even Sondheim had to bounce back from a flop. Yeah. Yes, like I only learned that today. I didn't realise how badly Marilyn yeah. they were on flop. So, yeah. like, even Bless one him. of the most treasured musical theatre composers... Wanted to give up. Wanted to give up and came back. So... Don't give up, guys. Yeah, because the next like thing you do could be the best thing that you do. Yeah. And if you don't do it, it doesn't exist. You can always be a New York Times crossword writer when you're really, really old. So write Sunday in the Park with George. <laughs> do you think that when Sondheim Sneaky does that? Do you think he like He does. He has crosswords? submitted for crosswords and stuff like that. That's so funny. How boring. Yeah. <laughs> All musical theatre ones. I think uh, another big theme is that different people need different things. And sometimes it just... It doesn't work out. out. The artist and the muse sometimes just does not belong together, unfortunately. And the artist Mm. and muse relationship is sometimes one-sided. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they. I think that George and Dot had an attraction to each other. They were both attracted Mm. to the other just in different ways. And like you said, they want different things and that means the relationship doesn't work out. It doesn't mean... That the relationship meant nothing. Yeah, Which absolutely. It's pretty, pretty, pretty standard, pretty expected of a muse hmm. that it's kind of one-sided. The love is one-sided, but the the passion is two-sided. I guess. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I, I learned that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal could sing. Yeah, that's what this one told me. Delightful. <laughs> Not just sing, sing well. There's a really difference. Well. It wasn't like an Emma Watson gig. It was sing well. And why isn't he more known for that now? I don't know. Like I feel like this should have. I feel like Jarhead should have had a musical number in it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> I think it's going to be. As I said, I would really love for him to do something original, and I do think that's on the cards. I hope so. I'm excited to see that. Mm. I really think so. Anything else? We got really deep really quickly this time. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I learnt a lot about Sondheim Mm. (laughs) from reading my 21-page article (laughs) about Sunday in the Park with George. But um, I think that the other thing that you can take from this show is that... You know, art has so many layers of understanding, and it doesn't matter which layer you take away. It doesn't matter on what level you enjoy that, or even if you don't enjoy it, that you absorb that mm. art. But that it has something different to say to everybody is okay. We don't have to all look at the painting and see the same thing. And um, I enjoy that lesson. <laughs> also, um, that their Sondheim uses music as a metaphor for the process of making a painting. So that the the similarities between or the creative process. Is he using the process of making a painting as a metaphor, <laughs> metaphor for, for the making a musical? Music. 
and then we'll never know. relationships. Oh, wow. <laughs> Stop it, guys. Um, You're blowing my mind. And I think I think honestly think this musical, I'm not as musically literate as pretty much everyone who's ever been on this podcast ever. But this, <laughs> this, this musical really seems to inform the rest of Sondheim's career. In it the way, feels like it does. In the way that yeah. Act 1 and the reflection of Act 2 and the musical metaphors that he opens Act 1 with when and then when the themes resolve, the music resolves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Structurally it's very similar to the things that he does with Into the Woods and, uh, yeah, that whole thing about the the themes attached to the characters mm. and the way that they're used, not not just as here comes the same character again, dun, da, 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 but in the sense of recreating their the state that they're in yeah. and how that communicates to the audience. Mm. All right. It's interesting. So it taught us a lot about Sondheim. Yeah. Oh, so much about Sondheim. All right, well, we'll take a break and we'll come back with our farewells. So thanks for joining us, Jess. Thank you for having um, me. Is there anything that you would like to tell our audience to check out, be prepared for, uh, places to find you on yeah. the interwebs? Um, well, you can definitely look me up on Facebook. It's Jessica Kate Ryan. I have an actor profile on there. Check out my Instagram. Got some exciting stuff coming up this year, so you can feel free to chuck me a like <laughs> and you'll find out about all those exciting things. Hopefully I'll be on this podcast again, so I'll share that as well. Oh, definitely. You didn't burn the bridge. <laughs> all sometime, all the time. Yes, please. I was very scared when we started and I i mean, what was it, half an hour that I was raving on about the music. <laughs> but um, I, we made it. We, we did. It. And congratulations to you listeners if you're still there. <laughs> yeah. Still there. Hello. Thank you so Hello. much for talking about my favourite musical. There's nothing better I love to hear than Thanks talk about Sondheim. <laughs> oh, no, none of our guests have been brave enough to take on Sondheim yet. Yeah. So now, now we've broken that uh, that dam. Hopefully, we'll get some more. Yeah. Oh no! Is there going to be a flood of some time now? Probably. Oh. Probably just me knocking on your door, being like, <laughs> "Hey, can I talk about passion now?" Yeah. Sure, as long as the article is less than twenty-one pages. I think it will be. Well, we, we'll we'll put links to all of your uh, all of your projects and and socials in the show notes. And if you want to find out more about us, you can go to our website. That's not counterproductions dot com forward slash mtm eik, and that's our home on the web. And that's not counterproductions home to all our other sister podcasts. Now you can find us on Facebook at facebook dot com forward slash musicals taught me everything I know on Twitter at musicals taught me, and you can email us at musicals taught me podcast at gmail dot com. And you will get a lengthy, thorough response from Julie. You will get a going over, tell you now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read now, that. If you are listening to us already, you have found us on a podcatcher of some kind. We would encourage you to give us a, uh, a, a subscribe and a rate and a review. And that really helps uh, push our algorithms all the way to 100% success on iTunes. That's all we need. We need to be Pippings. like... Best musicals podcast on iTunes. Which clearly we are. We just need There's iTunes a, to know that. Yeah. And iTunes, also come on. Spotify. We need yes. Spotify Dear to know Spotify. that. Spotify. <laughs> I'm Dear sure they Spotify. get a lot of emails. I've been Mr. Spotify. <laughs> to this great podcast about musicals. Sometimes the episodes are a bit long, but I'm okay with it because they talk about cool stuff like musicals. 
put them on Spotify. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Spotify. So if you want to listen to our, it's not controversial, but our, our cats episode that is secret only for our patrons, you have to sign up on patreon.com. Would you like to I'll listen? be signing up. Would you like to listen to the cats episode? I would fucking love to. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not that much. It's just a little tiny bit of money. Yeah, well, it's, it's one dollar American a month is the is the minimum. Still less than a cup of coffee. Still less than a cup of coffee a month, unless you're drinking it. And you'll get that, and all of our patron only episodes that we do, which are just specific top five lists. So we have started releasing those, and they are hilarious. If I do say so myself, Ooh, don't know to sell them. They're good. Cool. They're cool. You just did. You you be uh, you be the deciders, guys. I laughed several times listening back to them after I've listened to them. Three times before that. At yourself? No, mostly okay. at Just you checking. and Miranda. Just because well, I know what I would thank say. Thank you. Yeah. Uh. All right. Well, thank you again, Jess. And we do hope to see you soon. We will book you in at some point later this year. And I have been Zane C. Weber with me at the table. Miranda Selwood. Julie Eisentrager. There we go. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. and Riley. How you going? Oh, I'm very well. Thank you, Curtis. What's up? Oh, mate, I'm just, we're doing a promo now, right now for our new podcast. Well, what's it called? It's called Unfeatured Articles. Well, what do we do? What do we do? Thank you for asking, Riley. We look up every week the weirdest that Wikipedia has to offer. We dive into the comedic trenches of that website and find pure gold, baby. Pure sexy gold. And we put it all on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. So please find us on Facebook, etc. Unfeatured Articles. That's Not Kind of Productions podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.